in in this time when we we decide to think about the new Hagenbecker, the Hagenbecker 2.0, was that as we decided to get the new or to make the new Hagenbecker uh, 2.0 with the board, uh, the management board, we were looking through the numbers and we were clearly seeing, okay, if we do it like this for about a few more months, we will die. So, and then the decision was really easy to start. And then we, we get a uh, expert on board um, at Hagenbecker and in German law, it's uh, a kind of bankruptcy we, we did. So it's a restructuring process where we were focusing on what's our key business want to do. And we had to decide what would be our Olympic team afterwards. Hello and welcome. Today we're here in Heidelberg and recording the podcast of Goldcasting together with Benny and Andre from Hagenbecker. So welcome to this podcast. Why don't you start with introducing yourself? Yeah, thank you very much. Um, thanks for having us here and uh, being part of your podcast. Um, yeah, just a quick introduction of uh, myself. I'm Andre Weisgerner from Hagenbecker. I'm currently responsible for the uh, business development and financing uh, department at Hagenbecker. And um, uh, I'm a mem one of the members of the executive board. And um, yeah, I'm 33 years old and um, in the company since 2015, um, starting from the project management and technical sales. And yeah, then since 2021, after we uh, were, let's say, in the middle of our transformation, from that, that point, I was uh, part of the executive Yeah, good morning uh, also from my side. Uh, my name is uh, Benny Jung. Um, I'm also a member of the executive board. I'm responsible for sales and application engineering. I started um, 20 years ago um, at Hagenbecker as a um, toolmaker apprenticeship, finished that. And then I go to university together with Hagenbecker as a dual study system. In, in this time, I changed from the tool making side more to the foundry side and was then responsible for the application engineering <coughs> at Hagenbecker and um, started the rules all over the world uh, at our customers. Since the crisis, um, I also get to the, the executive board and uh, now I'm the sales guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for the introduction. So, um, can you tell us about Hack and Becker, and especially you mentioned the crisis. What was the crisis? No, we're really interested. What was before and what was after it, and how did you manage the crisis? So, let's start with the introduction of the company. Yeah, um, Hack and Becker is uh, formerly known as a high-quality, high-pressure die-casting tool maker. So, uh, our company was founded in 19. 36, so almost 90 years now, and um, yeah, we kept focusing uh, on, on high pressure die casting tools from the early 90s on. And um, what is kind of special at Hack and Becker is that we grew, grow with uh, our amount of employees we had until let's say 2010, and then um, we were one of the first tool makers who also added a casting machine directly on site to sample the tools first in the 90s. Yeah, this was. Uh, um, one, one key invest in the past and um, in 2009 we decided to um, let's say reinvent and upgrade this or our foundry 
that's a, we call it the die casting technology. Sender from that point on, we invested into a 3,200 ton die casting machine, which is, uh, let's say, equipped now with almost all serious production parts and techniques like cooling techniques and spraying techniques, extraction robots, and so on, vacuum technology. This is something like uh, you can say it's a playground for, for each foundry man. And um, so um, you can say it's one, one of the key points and was also a key point for, for us to, uh, or as a part of our transformation. And yeah, of course, we, we had until 2020, uh, 180 employees uh, located in, in the middle of Germany, so one hour north from Frankfurt. This is our, our base, and we try to train our own people. It's always a big part of Becken Becker to have our own apprenticeship with the program for new toolmakers. One additional point is that you can say we have a lot of experiences in making tools and also experiences in it, how to get the tools running, <laughs> and also some sort of how to get the, tool, uh, the tools be, uh, let's say, used as they are used in uh, the usual way in the founder. Or you're trying to imply that there's a discussion between a founder and toolmaker about uh, how to actually take care of your tool. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's, these are two two different perspectives always. Coming back to it, you, you refer to some kind of crisis, 2015. Uh, yeah, 2015 or let's say 2015 and upcoming years afterwards. This was something where, let's say, the evil crisis started and it reached our region or our branch, I would say in, in 2018, 2019. And this was something where we recognized several effects. One effect was that uh, our customers, they were on this way up with all programs or new invests and they were asking us to invest our, at our side as well uh, because they promised, okay, we have huge amounts coming up. So, speaking about nasty things, this crisis, how bad was it? Were, were you close to death or, or was bankruptcy a weeks away or, or how bad was it? Yeah, it's basically in, in 2019 and beginning of 2020, we at one point we had the, the crisis for the, for the OEMs, like the people crisis. Then we saw an upcoming toolmakers from all over the world, especially Asia, which were surprisingly good in quality and of course in the, uh, the prices they can reach. We were in, in, in China, for example, at the end of 2019, several toolmakers, and uh, yeah, we were very surprised about the So this was something we saw, okay, there are players on the market which are simply cheaper by offering almost the same kind of quality for the part. So it becomes more and more uh, difficult to point out or highlight your and your speed, as you would say, so as some, some kind of what is special for, for your or for our company. So just going over the, the, the high quality level of the tools, it was very difficult because you always, yeah, it always came down to the price right, when it comes up to yeah, or win a project on this was. A, let's say kind of toxic market environment where we had to, had to deal with. Yeah, then it, uh, it, uh, the Corona crisis kicked in, and this was some like a fire we started uh, where, where the, the, the top floors on, on the OEMs, and of course also ours, our ours and, and our suppliers uh, shut down. And uh, yeah, this was very very tough. And this is where we, we started to think about. How to how to change and how to develop the, the company to a better situation where you can reach better margins, find a suitable uh, a business model, which is some kind of bulletproof for, for the next process because there will always be something like this.
we don't know which which kind of, but uh, yeah, try to try to create a, a bulletproof business model for for our company, uh, yeah, which is uh, at the very end, and this is the, the let's say the headline of it: E as efficient and flexible as you can. So this was this was something for Benny and uh, I set together in 2020 at the beginning and uh, created some kind of sketch. Interesting. So you said, okay, the market is at a downturn. We're not gonna improve our margins, and competition is coming up. How did you say, okay, we now have to do something completely different? That's quite hard, if you, especially if you mentioned you're there for more than 90 years. How could you do it? Because usually you see people that are working in a foundry for 30 years, and they're impossible to change something. And even if it's just the sprain also somehow. Possible to change. We all can see you're way younger than most of the 50, 60s, 80 year old people. So what did you do? Yeah, the, the main focus what we did was to sum up what uh, what is our unique point at Hackenbecker. So um, at the beginning Andre said that we have the, the die casting technology center. And we had a lot of uh, samplings in this time where we had very good parts out of the first sampling. So we said, okay, maybe there's a way to do prototyping. So, and that's something where we are um, unique on the market, especially in this size of tools uh, where we're working. Can I just interrupt you? Um, when you say size of tools, which machine sizes, tool sizes can you prototype at your facility? So, and at the moment, we are focusing on closing doors of the dies or the tools um, between 1,000 and uh, 3,200, maybe 4,000 tons, because we have the 3,200 ton uh, die casting machine, which is uh, yeah almost fully equipped as a serial production machine. Yeah, our focus was um, in this time to get back from we would say the the belly shop, what we had, so we were jumping into every business before to just to get a little bit more margin. So, and then we said, okay, we have to focus on that. And as you already said, I think especially tool making is a very conservative business. So in this time, everybody was like, okay, that we are building very nice tools. We, we are very good in this and now we have to change. And that was a lot of work. I think it's still a lot of work to, to change that because of the tradition the tools. So, the culture, more or less. Is it the culture thing that was that the biggest obstacle? Because what I understand now, you had a crisis, you were discussing a lot, you collected your strong points, you made some kind of a business plan going forward, this is the area to go to, and then you started, you started 2019, is that correct? Or, or 2019, 2020, yeah. so, so the first question is, what's the culture problem within the company? Did you need to like fire people and employ you, or did you go, how did you overcome the culture heritage of being 90 years in the same year? Also, it would be really interesting how you approach the owners, the board, part of the executive team, how did you tell the rest, hey, we did that for 90 years, let's do something completely different. <laughs> yeah, uh, obviously it's, it's not, it's not a, a, uh, that we are now going to into a completely different story because we're still producing our tubes, still using the, 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 the casting center on site, but how to convince the, the management board was pretty easy because they were also aware of the fact because only looking at the numbers, decreasingly in, in, in turnover and of course mar margins and results. And um, then you come to a point where, where you can say, okay, we, we can go for it with the, with the same
same way we do it up until 2020 and go on with it and simply die. This was one option nobody wanted to do. So we figured out uh, what can be a solution for the future, which is suitable. So this is where we uh, develop some, some sort of greenfield option. If you have all options you can imagine, what would be your approach to, to, uh, to design hacker backgrounds? And then we, we, we said, okay, we need say, a, a, a strong backbone of hack and backer like it is today because we have these experienced makers in the shop we have experienced designers and also have the, the experience in our casting center let's form this new and of course when you have a company which is on the market for for 90 years and developed in these 19 years from from zero to 180 uh, we, of course you will always have some more and more ineffectiveness in the processes itself and as i've said this is something nobody pays for your customers so you have to optimize it and it's a sort of radical way to optimize it in this point of time it's like a uh, like like the doctor on who is who is operating on your heart while it's still beating something like this you don't want option a which uh, is perfect so you want to go to option B and this is how to design option B and yeah then we, we discussed this with the management board and we were convinced that this strategy is um, more bulletproof for the future. We have a foundry industry, a small die recently and it's filled with people that knows how everything is working. Years and years. And if someone walks up and says, you know, we went to China, we were building tools like ours, the same quality as ours. Uh, 40% down in price. Must be in a quite a, a shock or, or is this something that is still coming more and more and more like a gradient or was it like, oh, we are not going to sell anymore too, especially not in China? Yeah, we, um, it, it was something which was developing and uh, they also had their learning curves and quality, of course. And as, for example, China is also a sourcing market for several tool makers. You saw from year, year to year how they developed. So it was, it was not a shock. It was, it was not. It was not a complete shock. But if, if it comes to to uh, negotiations uh, on new projects, you were always competing with prices which are unreachable for for us. Mm. Uh, some sort of. And uh, then it, it was very difficult to find these specific projects where you want to focus on. Maybe there are a handful of toolmakers in Europe who tries to pick this project because it's very big, very uh, not only the tool but also maybe the the trimming tool and some spraying tools as well. So a whole big project. project. This is something where we can we were always trying to uh, be part of. Made some good projects in the past, but even for those, squeezing the, the pricing even more. And uh, yeah, this is something where we thought: Is it possible to create a, a product or a process where you have a really unique selling point out of our strengths at the second banker? And this is where we come to the, the prototyping process where we set up different ways of, of or, say, different options for tooling, like a modular concept we have on site, something we develop for ourselves. In this case, we do not compete with, with the other tool makers. And we also do not want to, to be a competitor of our customers, like the foundries. We want to offer another kind of process for your development process of the, of the, of the uh, casting itself, which saves several, which gives you several effects, like time, money, and so on. I want to jump a bit back. Usually, if you have a huge hit and it's an impact, right at a moment, it's quite easy to say, oh, it's hitting us, we have to change something. 
but it's something like if it's a slowly decreasing process, it's quite hard to change something. It's like with the frog in with the boiling water. If you put it in boiling water, it will jump out. But if you slowly increase the water, it will stay in. How did you jump out of the water? <laughs> The, the first thing, um, the tradition also in Calgary was um, the good thing that a lot of European customers were also more in this tradition of saying, okay, we don't want to have the too much from China. So that was the yeah, increasing the water temperature. Um, in in this time when we we decide to think about the new Hagenbecker, the Hagenbecker 2.0, was that as we decided to get the new or to make the new Hagenbecker. Uh, 2.0 with the board, uh, the management board, we were looking through the numbers and we were clearly seeing, okay, if we do it like this for about two more months, we will die. So, and then the decision was really easy to start. And then we, we get a uh, expert on board, um, at Decker and in German law, it's uh, a kind of bankruptcy we, we did. So it's a restructuring process where we were focusing on what's our key business, what to do. And we had to decide what would be our Olympic team afterwards. Now we start with the decision, okay, if we want to do this step, we need the Olympic team behind us. Uh, otherwise we don't get or we don't reach this target. So, and then it starts the decisions, okay, maybe this department we have to close, we have to... It was quite a harsh decision, scaling down. You, yes. you were 180 people and then you went down to what? To 90. Yeah, so you, you, you slapped half of the company. Yes, more or less. Um, so the, the good point of our region was that we had a, like a transfer company. And so nobody wants to change to this uh, company, get really fired. So they are not losing work. They were in this transfer um, company for almost one year. So get the good payment in, in this time and also get the chance to get a requalification. Other guys had um, programs to, to get hired and then things like this, we used that so that nobody was really fired into no work anymore. I have a few questions, maybe not only about Hackenbecker, but what would be the advice you would give uh, a guy that's standing in a foundry or in this industry uh, that see that I had to change? I, I, I can recognize this story, something is happening, I see I need the people to into something else. What would, would be the, the short word to, the, to a guy like that from you guys that have done this? Yeah, be proud of, of that, what you do. So, uh, especially we are at Hackenbecker, we are really proud of also of our history and do the next step because um, otherwise he will die. Then I have another question. What do you think about the European foundry industry from now on or 10 years back? I guess it's. It it is and will be quite competitive and anyone who's who's staying at that point where they are now and and do, do not look into into the future like okay what what we can what can we do and what we can, can we do to adapt to all these these new let's say projects which are on the market like for example this gear casting process do you want to be part of it or not you have to make a decision. You can't do it like Benny said at the very beginning. Like like we said, we we had a kind of uh, a belly shop and jumped into several different uh, projects. You have to focus and um, decide, and then go go that way. 
Um, you have to be brave. That's that's what you're the, saying. The, you you have is, to sit down and say, "Okay, yeah. enough is enough." Just 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 do it. If you if you are convinced of of this of this what you, what your company is doing or what you would like to do with with your company, and you are convinced, and you have several people around you in the management board who are also convinced about this kind of model, just go through it. And I'm and I'm convinced that it, that it will result in a good result for, for everyone if you simply do it. It's like the Chinese people say, when is the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago or today? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, something something com comparable. But how is the, the, the foundry uh, industry uh, developing? Um, I guess it's very difficult to say because I don't even know if the, the branch really knows where to go to. Because um, you, ha you have this, you, you have the, the EV market where casting parts come onto the, into the market and uh, you have to deal with, with them or decide if you want to de deal with them. But you still have the, the combustion engines and so on and all parts of this. You have what is very tricky, I guess, uh, in, in several countries that the, the politic, po politic uh, situation is developing. I don't know if always into the right direction or not, but this is something where, where, where companies kind of get into an insecure environment uh, to decide if they want to stay there or maybe if they want to invest there. It's it's kind of very, I think, really mm. uh, volatile environment. And, and this is what makes it pretty difficult to, to give an, a simple answer about this is the way and this is the target everyone is trying to reach. And it's interesting because we said in an early episode, if you want to go into gigacasting, because gigacastings are here to stay, you have to do so much different. I think for a toolmaker, being able to produce these large tools, you have to build basically a whole new tool shop. And then it's a quite clever move to say we stick to that what we know and focus on something the others cannot provide, which is in Germany, locally based and giving out very quick prototypes. So without revealing your secret, but Tell us, how do you do it? How do you get out the prototypes so quickly? The main focus at this point is to have something, uh, we call it like a Lego um, set. So we want to yeah, provide our customers yeah, kind of, of equipment around the, the die that they just need, like the inserts. So And that's that's the main focus we have. So now we have a lot of, of experienced uh, engineers still in, in the company and the normal target we are reaching almost every time is um, in 12 weeks you will get a raw part of everything what you can cast on a 3200 ton machine. 12 weeks? Yes. That leads us to the next thing about the competition in China. It's always fast. But 12 weeks, then you're actually competing not only with the, the functionality, you're also competing with the time. Yeah, in, in prototyping, the most important thing is time. So everybody knows the design of a part want to be always later and later. So and but the the start of the production or the start of the first building of the prototype cars is still the same. So then we have to to squeeze our process as short as possible. I mean, you come from the tool making, you do a new price list, you have done your homework, you know how much you have to charge, not to reveal what you are charging. How did your customers think about your new offer on the market? Was it hooray, let's go, or was it a lot of convincing, a lot of marketing, a lot of blah, blah, blah? Or was it a more digital thing that, yeah, we've been waiting for this, please could do it? Um, it depends on the customer. So we, we also had to find a lot of new customers because the main base of, of the um, customers was 
or is still um, the tier one suppliers, the tier one foundries. But now we are starting to work with the OEMs together. So because we want to get involved as early as possible because the OEM designer are always perfect in designing a, a part, a functionality part, but not in a casting part. So the, the focus should be that we come in in a very early stage to help them uh, as, as soon as possible to make the, the functionality the part as a good part for casting and even not for casting, also for tool making because there's the next step and we can provide those two steps in, in one step. Basically, not only the prototyping, you're also having your customers help to develop the parts that you're going to cast in prototyping phase. As we allowed to, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is uh, some sort of, uh, let's say, the, our philosophy is to, to take a look at the project from the first idea to the process at the very end. So, and all these parts between designing the part, designing the tool, doing simulations, building the tool and cast it, um, this is something we can provide and afterwards also, if it is necessary, machining the part, heat treatment and so on. So the, the, the whole idea about a, a project, this is something where we would like to do, uh, like to be part of if we are allowed to. <laughs> I, I, I have to be a little bit more brutal here. Yeah. <laughs> what I hear you say between the lines is that the knowledge at OEMs about how to design something that is actually producible and good enough for a, a tool that will work seven days a week, 24 hours a day is very limited or decreasing because you have to go in there and actually help them to design something that's producible. Isn't that correct? I don't know if, if the knowledge is decreasing or let's say covered under a table somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I guess what they are struggling with is their own processes, which make it, let's say, very difficult to go new ways and also get all your knowledge together on point. So this is something, I don't know, they, they have lost that much knowledge, but they try to, to, to have it on point on the, on, on, at the right point where they need to have it. And uh, this is something because they, they are dealing with more and more complex cars or complex parts and components. So uh, I don't know if, if this is something which makes it very difficult to, to deal with for the customers, for the OEMs. And this is something where we will show them and help them to save time and yeah, save their save their money at the very end. And it's interesting that you point out because I, as I was working with the OEMs, you really saw a difference with the OEMs having their own foundry and having a huge pool of casting knowledge and the OEMs which don't have a foundry which design a part to their best knowledge which is not suitable for casting and you have a lot of developing processes. But you're saying, as I understand it, all the EMs have troubles getting the part to a correct casting piece that delivers the quality they're expecting. Yeah, but if you look to how the, the teams come together in, in this uh, OEM company, so there is a, we are working at the moment um, on, on a project where they're building a new uh, electric drivetrain uh, system and they have a lot of, of good people doing the functionality. So they have to implement that, they have to implement that, the cooling system, this and this, and they know very well about the part or the function of the part, but they don't really... I would say care about how to produce it. Uh, that's the next step. 
So because we have the experts on, on uh, building engines or the e-motors, and that's where we can help to implement that as, as soon as possible, the, the cash. But how do you charge for it? I mean, disclaimer, I, w- I work for another company that tried to get you to charge our customer when we actually help them. That's not always super easy. How, how do you actually make a package that they sign off and, and pay for it? Because once you start to help a design team in some OEMs, they could easily show up 200 hours from you. Yeah, that's that's always the the point because nobody wants to pay for for things like this and also for the the complete package. So what we were doing a few times is that the customers, the OEMs, come to to Hagenbecker and say, okay, we had a previous this casting, this parts we did in in classical sand casting, did these steps. Can you? Also quote that in um, in high pressure die casting prototypes, and then normally they summarize up and say, okay, it could be much cheaper, and we even save a lot of time capacity, and we don't have to think about two different ways because normally we do sand castings in in the first step, and then we do the high pressure die casting parts, and that's always developing two parts. Then it's much easier to get money from them in in this phase, but it's it's not like okay, we are you don't experts. go and collect the money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I, I can see a point also. I don't know what was wrong with July, but in July we had uh, like five different projects for the same application, water-cooled electronic boxes. Everybody noted, okay, we need one software, we need all the sensors distributed and just a cable in, and we have a big computer. And all five of them are, are so funny because first you think they're unique. Uh, everybody has the same problem. The second, <laughs> second question you get is, oh, can you squeeze out anything between 110 and 250 pieces in, in, in April? Uh, and then you ask, okay, what happens then? Nothing in two years. But then we start production in 2026, 2027 somewhere. I mean, that must be a great thing to buy from you, those 150 pieces. You can twerk around with a design, you can optimize it and blah, blah, blah. And then they go for this vehicle test for 18 months in Murmansk or wherever. That yeah. must be one of the points, buying the stuff from you guys. And that, what I'm getting at is then it must be easy to charge for it because all of a sudden they can, I mean, they're choosing the supplier, hey, wait, we can squeeze the price a little bit more. And <laughs> you, you, you buy time. Not only time in the development phase, also the time for the sourcing guys, the SKA guys, and all other loose cannons in the organization. Also, you buy time, if you get into some issues, you buy time to improve on them. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, of course, directly change it easily on the tool because we have the tool shop directly on site. And so this is, this is of course, something which is a, a huge benefit of this kind of pro- process. But when it comes to convince new customers about this process, you can't put uh, numbers between each process. Like how many time do you save when you mm. directly start with hyperchat die casting? We took a look at, at several parts we did in the past and talked with, with customers, okay, how, how long did this take? How long did the sand casting process and so on? And for, a, let's say, normal gearbox housing, you have from the start of the first designing the sand casting parts, then validating them, then transfer it into the uh, high-pressure die casting part, validate them, and then come to the SOP, you have around, let's say, three years. The first year is simply gone with the sand casted part. And when you simply say, okay, let's Exclude this one year, directly start with the high-pressure die-casting prototypes. That's my point. You you get the real stuff directly, and then you can 
take it easy. Yeah, take it easy. And you can use these 12 months of time at the very beginning for other stuff. And at the very end, what, what you pointed out, if, when you when it comes to the first parts, like say you maybe need for the, the first phase of your development, 20 parts, 30 parts. Of course, you have a, a little invest into the tools, but you can build up on this. You can go ahead with the next step of your evolution of the development and go with the next 300 parts. And then you see, okay, well, we can we, we, we can simply go into the next step of development and still having the tool on site can do all the um, optimizations and the knowledge you, you have gained from, from the development process into the tool and get to the next step. So this is something where we can not so easily find numbers for how, to, how, many, how much money can you save with this process, but... Uh, I guess, or I assume, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but coming back to the tools, so if you do these qu quick prototyping phases, I think you need to do something different with the tool making. If you do a prototyping or if you do it like, oh, we have 12 weeks and now we want to have the castings. Just hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> so you basically say there's not too much difference in the manufacturing. So you could use your 90 years of knowledge for the tool making just to make your prototypes. Yes, and uh, also to optimize things. And as I said before, we, we tried to get the Olympic team afterwards, um, the crisis. And I'm quite sure we have that already. And it, it's always a, a lot of fun to work with them because now a few uh, days ago, we finished one big part which is normally running on a 2,500 ton machine after about 10.8 weeks and we had the first castings on uh, on the shoot out of, of the die casting machine. So, And what's also a very important point is what Andre uh, said before there's an, another additional point. The thing is we have parts, they are in the serial production condition. They are not comparable to the serial production process, so they are like them. So in high-pressure die casting, we have a different quality as in, in sand casting. So how many casting runs at the first real serial production die we had, and there were the quality guys standing next to me uh, at the X-ray and saying, oh, this is huge. Uh, we don't have that in sand casting. We have to change that. Then you start the decisions, but there's already all releases on the part because we did already prototypes. It's, it's working, but it's a completely different um, process. And the, the next step is also that we can already run serial production uh, parameters. We can run the process so we can already develop the process in this early stage. Because if you do sand casting, you have a sand casting process, but you never... Never need that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically for sand casting, thin walls, long flow lines is quite a bit of trouble. And then you have to redesign the part for to fit the sand casting process, which, as you said, will be needed once, maybe twice if you lose some parts. And you have the alloy problem. The alloy problem is another thing. I mean, if you want to run it with your, your 226 or ADC-12 or, or something else, and in sand casting, you have what? A356 to make a good property part. So I guess not needing to, to fiddle around with the alloy must be a big thing for the customer. You can say what is besides the technical fact is, let's say, some foundries or OEMs with their foundry maybe also thinking about some comparable process like we are doing there. What I can say is what is a really important topic is that you have some sort of hands-on mentality at your shop floor, at the designers, at the project managers who analyze something, make a decision and then go for it. And this is something where most of the huge companies with big organizations have their reliable processes 
call it like this. But this takes time and this is time you do not have when you go into the prototyping business. You will need to have the experts which are responsible to make a decision and go for it. I make a joke about European, not saying German, car makers. <laughs> uh, and it goes something like this. This is a thing at Comtech that, that a European car maker put it that way. It's more important to follow the right defined process and ending up with the wrong result than it is to actually do something more entrepreneurial and end up with the right decision or result. Do you agree with this? 100%. I can underline this, yes. You can underline <laughs> So, yet what we're saying here is that if you're going to compete with China, BYD, Tesla, whoever, they have to step up and work on the culture. The decision-making culture is, is the fundamentally wrong thing with European car makers. That's what I believe. Do you believe the same? Uh, yeah, I can, I, I can agree with this. And I'm sure the, the big OEMs know about this fact. You, you do not see any changes in, in our direction yeah, but, but or in our communication with them. <laughs> Jude went from 180 people, you created the Olympic team and now you're down to, to 90 people. You pivoted up in the, the value chain and you have something you can offer. Imagine Volvo, Audi, Volkswagen, whoever making the same thing. Okay, guys, let's fire 50% of our workforce because we need to change the culture, which you have to do to change the culture. I know by heart, I've done this for 12 years. You have to fire half of your staff. And how do you actually do that? I, I mean, if you are that massive, I, I can imagine that the politicians of Wolfsburg will have a quite of a reaction if you walk in and say, you know what, guys, this is what we're going to do. Now, I'm not saying that Volkswagen has this problem. Absolutely yeah. not. But maybe it comes to the point that they doing a little bit of this stuff, which is always something if you, if you see and you're aware of the, of the, of the mm. situation. Uh, okay, let's try a little bit of this. But this won't bring you into a, a new way of working. I think they the work differently. They start a new brand. Yeah, or, you or see the Polestar yeah. Volvo, for example. I mean, why is there a Polestar? It's not only for Slatan Ibrahimovic to sell more. <laughs> advertising. Uh, and, and I think one of the background is actually that. As when I was working Ericsson, for example, they used a, a Gothenburg office for making exactly the same part, same products, yeah. because in Shista we had some some other problems to deal with. So, so they are, we were competing internally. I think you will see more and more new brands. This is also something you have to or, or we as a let's say small tool maker compared to the really huge ones you have to put your heads up and make you visible in in this branch or in this niche where we are and when it comes to the brand Hackenbecker it was always connected in the past you get from Hackenbecker if you have a really difficult project go to Hackenbecker they, they will solve it for you if you want to have high quality tools Go to Hackenbecker, they will solve it for that. But what we decide for ourselves is that the prototyping connection, if you're thinking about high-pressure die-casting prototypes, go to Hackenbecker, they will solve for it. As you're saying, usually for tool-making it's easier, but I think for prototyping it's a totally different team, so you have to make new connections. How did you get the visibility and also the connections to the right people that say, if you have a prototyping Go to Hacker Becker. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is something which is yeah continuously where we are continuously working on huge amount of effort for for the sales department to get into contact with new departments at new customers, other contact persons like you do not talk to the to the guys who are dealing with the tools, so you need to go to the desi designers and convince them. It's maybe another uh, purchasing department who are responsible for this. And so it's a lot of work in this phase. But if you 
have convinced them and maybe they started with a little project and see, okay, this is something really nice what we get as a result. Let's go for it. And this is something which is developing pretty good since then. Um, for example, we planned in, in 2021, uh, we planned about if we get three or five prototyping projects would be perfect for us. At the very end, we had about more than 20 projects at the, at the end of the year. Congratulations. <laughs> thank, you, thank you. And uh, so this was very impressive for us. And also from the, you learn from this uh, amount of projects you have in-house then uh, that several processes need to be adapt readapted. Uh, like, for example, you need less time for, for, for the assembling of the tool itself. Mm. But you have to maybe reassemble and disassemble, reassemble with new tools. So, so what you're saying, you, should, you shouldn't let the perfect stand in the way of good. You have to go for good enough in the beginning because you don't know. You, you do a change in your process. You, you cannot before make an exact calculation. Yeah, this is, yeah. So it, it's always a lesson learned. And, and what I see why I bring this up is that many people try to do the perfect thing, the perfect casting, the perfect process, the perfect company. And they fail because it has to be perfect instead of just doing something. Yeah. I, I love the expression focus on top line. Because if you get the turnover into the company and you get the growth, then you'll find the margin somewhere. You find the tweaks you have to do, you find the people you have to have. It's yeah. more important to sell first, solve the problems later. <laughs> is this something you would agree in this information? Um, some sort of. What what we have done when we made the first sketch of, of the of the new Hackenbecker 2.0, let's say, we were not thinking about each and every detail. But uh, let's say the main the main points were made very clear. And uh, several weeks ago, I found these presentations we made over there. And of course, there were some some facts and figures, numbers and and heads which are uh, which we thought about. This is it. And we compared it to the current situation and surprisingly we had about let's say 90% of those what was inside this plan now realized uh, with even more projects in, in so the audience. If you want to have some change management consultants <laughs> that really knows this stuff, you know, uh, you can call these guys. Uh, yeah, but, but it's, it's, uh, this, is, this is really a, a, a really um, interesting point. I guess if you have an external change manager who comes into the company and say, okay, now I'm the one who, who knows the best way and this is the direction we will go to. I guess it's really uh, hard for them to convince the management board. But what is more important is that he needs to know how the company thinks and works. And this is only possible, this is my opinion, this only works if he's with the company for almost more than a year, I guess. <laughs> But it's interesting. Usually you say if the people are within the company, their opinion is not worth too much regarding the strategic operation. If you hire a very expensive change consultant, you listen to them because you pay so much. That's quite an interesting thing that you say it has to come within, but usually changing something from within is way harder than someone coming from the outside because usually you get fresh ideas from the outside. How differentiate between fresh ideas and changing from within? Um, yeah, fresh ideas, of course, always, if you need to have some input from the outside, it's for this fact, it's, it's always pretty good to discuss with external people. What I meant is that I'm, I'm really convinced that each company who is on the market, who is making good money, making good products, they have a lot of people who really know, okay, where can we earn the money in our company? And if you listen to them, if you talk with them and develop with them a strategy, you will find something which is I said at the very beginning bulletproof so this is from the internal as aspect you know where it, you it, lose it, the money and you know where to gain yeah. some advantage over everything else 
What we had done, we, we had a restructuring expert on our board at the time of, of, the, of the change. And he knows about all the tools you can use to go to your target, you, your goal you want to reach. And this is something really, really important, especially when it comes to law experts. And that, that's stuff a minefield. Like this. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a really, really yeah, 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 tough. Yeah. And so, so this, is, this is something besides the idea. You need to have the tools and someone who knows about the tools, how to work with them. And, and then, you, we, then you can, I guess, make good results. Of the 12 years of change management, I, I can only agree with you, gentlemen. And, and I would like to put some emphasis on you have to not invent more problems because it's challenging as is. So having an expert in the board or director is like mm, A1 to do. Uh, be surrounded with people that say don't go that direction because that's against the law or whatever. I, I also absolutely agree with you that if you bring in some hot shot from, from above <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden he starts to fire people, he might actually fire the wrong guy. The, the guy actually incremental for making that profit. So, and you have an ongoing business. Things are going out and, and being invoiced and you have your cash flow going because if you stop everything, then you die even faster. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, this has been very, very interesting. Uh, we are grateful for having you in our podcast. We could talk for hours and hours, I feel. And, but uh, <laughs> now we are in Heidelberg and uh, we are supposed to go to the next point on the agenda, which I think is a couple of presentations in there. So yes. again, thank you very much. Thank you also from our side to be part of the of the podcast and this opportunity to talk about the pleasure is ours. Hackenbecker 2.0. Yeah, um, thanks also from my side, and uh, I would really appreciate if we might find another appointment for for an ongoing discussion because there are still more interesting points and facts in in this let's say niche where we are right now. <laughs> yeah, it's really a great story, and so for you listener, if you have a prototyping need. Contact us. We will forward the contact data of Hack and Becker. Thank you. And if there's something more, we really love to have a follow up. Thank you. Okay. Thank you and goodbye.